Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Who's been enjoying the the series through Ephesians so far? Man, it has been awesome. If you've missed any of them, we've already covered chapters one, two, and three. If you've missed any, they're available online. I encourage you, just like Cody said, go online. We have them available. You can listen to it via podcast. You can watch a video. Our media department does an amazing job getting that stuff out there so that you can not only listen to it, but then you can share it and pass it on. So I encourage you to do that. I get the privilege of jumping into Ephesians chapter four. I can tell you I've known for a couple of weeks now. I've been very excited about it. I will also tell you I've been a touch on the nervous side about it. Not so much because it's talking to you guys. You guys are family. But because I take it very seriously that we're handling the word of God. And I don't ever want to mishandle that. It's a precious thing. But there's something that we've covered in, in chapters one through three that reminded me of a story in, in mine and my wife's life. When I share the story, you're going to go, what in the world does that have to do with the book of Ephesians? So stick with me and I'll tell you and then we'll dive into this. So my wife is Sherry Bellamy. She is awesome. She is Pastor Don and Jessamy's administrative assistant. She is the mother of my three children. And somehow, by the grace of God, she has put up with me for 24 years this August. So that's an amazing thing, because I'm not a picnic, I promise you. Well, my two oldest, I have three kids. Like I said, I have two adult children. My daughter's my oldest. Her name's Chelsea. She's 24. We have a son that is 22. His name is Derek. And then we have a 13-year-old. His name is Noah. And when our adult kids were little, as some would say, knee high to a grasshopper, about yay big. We went to the zoo, and my wife wore this really cute outfit that I really, really liked when she would wear. She had on these these white jean pants and this red shirt. Turns out red is one of her favorite colors. Today it dawned on me that's the reason God gave me this red birthmark, (laughs) so that she would be attracted to me. He set you up, and I'm glad he did. So we loaded our kids up, and we headed to the zoo, and when we're at the zoo, we're walking around, and And at that time, my son, all boy, he's the one that, man, if you're on top of a building, he's going to hang out right out at the edge and spit just to see how long it takes for it to get to ground. It's just who he is. He's all boy. He's not afraid of anything. So we're at the zoo, and he gets a little further away than what was comfortable for me. My daughter, she's a rule follower. She likes to stay in the box. She knows it brings daddy comfort for her to be close. So she stays close. Praise God. I see my son and he's wandering off and I get a little nervous about it. And so, so I reach over and I go, baby, I, <laughs> I gotta go get him. I'll be right back. And so I take off and I go and get him and I, and I get him a little bit closer to where he needs to be. And I tell him, now, come on, boy. I need you to stay within eye shot of me so I can see what's going on. And he heads over to the big area where all the, where all the monkeys are at. And I'm like, okay, worst case scenario, he jumps in there with him and it'll fit right in. That won't be a problem. And so as I'm watching him, I'm looking at my wife right over here out of my peripheral, and I see her. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to keep watching him, and I walk up beside her, and I'm all being Rico Suave. So I put my shoulder up against her, and I go to slide my hand into her back pocket. Come on, you guys know you've done this. Come on now. The problem is, is that as soon as my hand makes contact with this backside, this person jumps, and so do I, and I turn and look, 
And here is white pants, red shirt, right height, brown hair, same build, not my wife. And I got real nervous, and if you've seen the commercial, I was wishing I had a Twix bar so I could put something in my mouth and make sense of what just happened. And then just about the time I figured out I could say I'm sorry about 37 times in two seconds, I see my wife coming this way, and she's got an interesting look on her face. And I am going, man, what am I gonna do with this? And in that moment, I had a huge identity crisis. You see, not just my identity crisis, but I also had a mistaken identity of this other individual. Because I realized that she was not who I thought she was. And then in that, I also realized that because of that, I wasn't who I thought I was. I was not her husband. And if we're not careful, we can fall into that place as a Christian. And for me, that's what the book of Ephesians really covers. It covers and speaks to identity and who we are and who our God is. Because those things go hand in hand. If you don't know who he is and you have a misunderstanding of him, then you'll live your life in a way that causes you chaos and problems and you'll be mistaken in your identity. And so we've been talking about that through Ephesians, and tonight I I wanna address that a little bit more in Ephesians 4. I really believe the first third or so of Ephesians 4 still talks a little bit about identity, and then it begins to talk some about uh, our believers' practices, how we're supposed to live this thing now. When we remember who Paul was talking to, he was talking to a group of people who for years and years and years and years have been told they weren't welcome in the house of God. They weren't allowed to be part of the kingdom. And so he's trying to help them through that. So keep that in mind as we go through this. Before we do, I'm gonna go to the Lord in prayer real quick. Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity to speak to your people tonight. And Father, I pray that tonight our hearts are open to receive what you have to say, Father. That you would impact our lives and change us tonight, Father. That we would leave here different than when we came in. And Lord, I ask, Above that, that you use me. May my words bring you glory and honor, and may you use me as your conduit to speak to the people because they don't need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. And so, Holy One, I ask it and I thank you for it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right, on your notes, Ephesians 4, 1 through 5 in the New King James Version. I'm going to start off, I'm going to read right there. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Do me a favor and underline, you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness, underline gentleness, with long-suffering, catch that one too, bearing with one another in love, and underline love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit, underline unity, in the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Number one on here, we're gonna talk about the calling. Can I tell you, that used to wreck me when I was a younger Christian. I got saved at the age of 19. I'd lived a very uh, interesting life up until that point, a very rough life, to be real honest about it, especially the three or four years prior to that. I was definitely not living for the Lord. We'll just leave it at that. And so when I got saved at 19, we immediately found a church. We knew we had to get plugged in. Something had to change. So we get into a church, and I'd hear guest speakers 
And they'd say things like, and I remember I heard the call of the Lord to the mission field. And I remember the day that I heard the call of the Lord to preach the gospel. Well, can I be real honest with you? We had a baby and the only call we were getting was to go change diapers in the nursery. And I wasn't real sure how to reconcile that with these people that were saying, I heard the voice of the Lord tell me, go to Africa and preach the word. Go to Egypt and preach the word. I didn't know how to justify that. And it left me kind of with a huge gaping hole in me of worth, as, as Joe McGee would say. I kind of felt like I was just going to get my own little chicken wing around my neck and eke into heaven with that. That was going to be my existence. And when you continue to read in Ephesians 4, you see the fivefold ministry. So then you couple it to that. And I was going, man, I just don't think I'm any of those things. I don't know what to do with this. Maybe you have felt that way. If you have, I want to straighten that out for you. We're going to figure this out real quick together because you're called. Letter A, you are called. I'm going to hit you all with a Greek word, okay? The, the New Testament's written in Greek. The Old Testament's written in Hebrew. That's about all you need to know for this evening. And in that passage of scripture where, where I had you underline, you were called. That word called is the Greek word klesis. And it has a very unique definition, and that definition is this. It's used of God inviting all people to receive his gift of salvation with all his blessings that go with it. That's what that word means. So the first part of your calling is just that. It's God calling you to be part of his family. And then the second part of it is he's got all these blessings he wants to give you. So what we'll see is, is that all are called. That's your first bullet point. All are called, but not all respond to that call. In Matthew 22, we see what's called the parable of the wedding banquet, okay? And in it, this, this ruler has set up a wedding feast for his son. His son's getting married. I'll, I'll let you in on the secret. The ruler is representative of God. The son is obviously Jesus. The wedding banquet is talking about when he comes back and marries his bride, it's talking about us. And it says that the master sent out invitations beforehand to a group of people. That group of people was the Jews, okay? But it says that then the messengers went out to tell him, hey, it's time for the wedding banquet. Come on, everybody, come on. And they didn't respond real well. And it says they actually abused the messengers. They didn't treat him too good, so the, so the king says, hey, we gotta take care of this. And he says, so now, instead, just go out and invite everyone that you see. That's in verse nine. It says, so go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. That word invite is the exact same word, klesis. That's the calling that we're speaking about. So we see that the calling is the divine knock of God on the door of your heart. We see that in Revelation 3.20 where, where it says, here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. So you see, you are called because all mankind is called. All right, letter B. Boy, I'm gonna shift fast. Answering the call requires action. That first blank, that blank is action. The bullet point says, you have to live it. That sounds simple, but really look at what it says. Ephesians 4.1 says, I urge you to live a life 
worthy of the calling. Sometimes we, we try to take that whole statement as one and, and we should really just break it down and go, hey, he just says live a life worthy of the calling. Notice Paul didn't say once you get saved, go hide in a cave, go hide under a rock and wait for the Lord's return. No, 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 no. He said go and live it. We see in uh, Matthew 5, 13 through 15, it says that we are now a light. If you've said yes to the Lord and you've made him your savior, then you're a light. And he goes on to say, look, you don't take a light and then cover it up with a bowl. You can't do that. Then the light doesn't do any good. The light is put out there so that it can dispel the darkness and get rid of the darkness. But it can't do it unless the light stays uncovered and gets out there and lives it. It also says in that same passage of scripture that you're salt. We are salt. Think about what salt does. Put it in perspective of when that was. Salt preserves meat. We're put here, that sounds crude, but we are put here by God to be his preservative on the earth. We're here to save humanity, to save flesh. That's what we're here for. But if we don't use our saltiness, then we've lost our savor and it does no good. So you gotta live it. Number two, living worthy of the calling. Can I tell you again, going back to 19-year-old Rob Bellamy, when I would read things like be worthy, it would mess me up. Because all I could think about is who I was the day, that moment, that hour where I said yes to the calling of God for salvation, and I didn't feel worthy. I'm just going to be real honest about it. I was that guy that if I was walking down the street, you would probably cross on the other side. And if I walked by your car in the parking lot at Walmart, I can assure you many times I heard the doors go click. It happened. That's who I was. So so I couldn't feel worthy. It didn't matter how many times you told me to because I didn't understand how to do that. How could I make myself worthy? We'll go to letter A. Remember who called you. This starts with remembering who it is that called you. Ephesians 4.1, it says right there, for you have been called by God. That's who issued you your invitation. I put in here a quote that I read one time that has stuck with me and it says, the calling of God is significant only if the one doing the calling has the authority and the right to command and empower the one who is called. That's the difference between Jesus being your savior and Jesus being your Lord. When he's your Lord, you give him the permission. You give him the right. He's a gentleman. He's not gonna force himself in and he's not gonna make you submit. He's not an MMA artist. That's not what he does. So when you give him the right, look at what it says. Then he empowers you to do what it is that he's called. Then you can live worthy. He does it. So God empowers us to walk worthy. Colossians 1, 9 through 10. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, capital S, the Holy Spirit living inside you so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. You see that? It's the Holy Spirit living inside you when you give him the right to be your authority, then he empowers you to live worthy. God does it. All you have to do is say, yes, Lord. It's that simple. You know, there was something else that I wanted to bring up here. (laughs) 
If you've been sitting back and maybe you've been waiting to get involved in this thing we call Christianity because you haven't felt worthy or you've been waiting to be empowered maybe to fulfill your role in the body because God's got a role for you. If you've been waiting, thinking that all of that empowerment and whatnot is going to happen first, can I tell you it doesn't work that way? You don't equip and empower somebody that's not in the game. God already knows what he created you to do. He's not confused about what your abilities are because he created you. I think of this in a very specific way. I work on construction out here. I've got some of my Nehemiah team out here. First and foremost, you guys are awesome. Thank you. They've been helping build this campus. But there's one guy that comes out. His name is Alex Jeffers. And he's a trained welder, and I know that about him. He's a welder. It's what he knows how to do. And we went through a season, we were doing a lot of welding back here on the building that we're flipping, and we had to weld a bunch of red iron up overhead. Guess what, I know nothing about welding, absolutely zero. So I would be on the phone, hey Alex, he was getting the call, hey, buddy, you're gonna be here tonight, right? Because we got some welding to do and we need you. And when he would show up, I wouldn't walk over to Alex and hand him my framing hammer that I used to drive nails into wood and me take the welding unit and get up on a ladder and try to weld the metal, that wouldn't make any sense at all. No, 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 no. I took the welding unit and I gave it to the guy that is the welder. He was then empowered to do what he can do. And then I would take my framing hammer and give it to Tim Rex and stand back and go, okay, I'm gonna supervise now. Um, So you gotta get involved. The other thing with that is this, maybe you've Maybe you feel unworthy because of the past. Maybe something that you've done. Can I tell you that that's, that's a deception of the enemy? All right? We see in Romans eleven twenty nine, it says that God's gifting and his calling are irrevocable. There's another translation that says they're without repentance. What repentance means is to change your mind. So you're going this way, you change your mind, and you now go that way. It's saying that God never does that to you. He gave you gifts. He called you, and he didn't change his mind. Now, maybe you're in a season where you need to, you need to repent. Maybe there's something in your life that you need to make straight as far as repentance goes. Maybe you need to go ask for forgiveness. I, I don't know. But don't let that keep you in this place where you're not being used by the Most High God. He didn't change his mind about you. Letter B. Man, the clock is fast. Letter B, live your calling. Live your calling. Now, our first bullet point underneath that is very important. Don't be envious of someone else's role, someone else's gift, someone else's calling. You can't be envious of that. Look, truth be told, we're going to see here in a little bit that if you tried to walk their role, it would mess you up anyway. So don't be envious of their role. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. It's his design. It's his plan. The biggest problem is, is that we still tend to see ourselves as individuals and not as a body. If we see each other as a body, then this will change. The next part of that is this, don't trivialize your role. 
When I began to chew on, on that, here's kind of what the Lord showed me. It may seem silly, take it up with God. When I sit back and I think of my right pinky and my left thumb, my pinky doesn't think it's any less valuable than my left thumb. And they both have a part to play. They both have a role. And guess what? My entire body is extremely glad that I've got this pinky and this thumb because I couldn't function in full capacity without them. And so if we'll see ourselves that way and not as an individual part, look, if you take my pinky and remove it from the body and put it on a shelf, it doesn't live. It won't thrive. It won't grow. It's got to stay connected to the body. Let's see what it says here in 1 Corinthians 12, 25 through 26 in the message paraphrase. It says, the way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt. Smack your thumb with a hammer and tell me that it doesn't hurt the rest of your body. And then it goes on to say, but the other parts are also involved in the healing. That's why you can't isolate and separate when you're going through something. If one part flourishes, then every other part enters into the exuberance. Two Sundays ago, I want to share something with you that the Lord spoke to me. I was on the front row and I was worshiping him and I was just I like to pray when I'm worshiping and I was thanking him for this opportunity tonight and I was praying for all of y'all that your, your hearts would be good, you'd have a good week, that you'd be ready to receive. And, that, and then I prayed something very specific. I said, Father, would you give me a specific word for your people? And when you do that, you better expect that he's gonna do it. And he did. And so I wrote it down and I wanna share it with you. I really believe that, I, that this is for several people here but if it's only for one, it's worth it. And here's what the Lord said to me. He said, sure, I'll give you a word. Tell him this, son. He said, tell him that I said, you are not junk. You are not an accident. I created you intentionally and on purpose. And I made you specifically and wonderfully. Maybe growing up you were machine gun with harsh words from a parent that didn't know any better that would say something to you like, you're just a mistake. We didn't plan you, we didn't want you, you're not supposed to be here. Maybe the details behind your conception weren't ideal and so the enemy's been able to flip that lie and that deception in your head. Don't you ever think it again. God made you on purpose and he made you wonderful. <clears throat> Letter C, walk in the walk, Ephesians 4, two through six. I asked you guys to highlight in there for time's purposes, I won't read the whole thing, but he says be completely humble and gentle. I asked you to underline gentle, be patient, I asked you to underline patient and bearing with one another in love. Then he goes on to say, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. I asked you to underline those first three things for a very important reason. To walk this walk out, all three of those things we'll find in another place in the Bible. 
down in Galatians 5. It's called the fruit of the spirit. So to do this thing, we gotta walk it in the spirit. We can't walk it in the natural realm. It won't work. We've gotta tap into who we are now that we've been recreated. Galatians 5, through 25 says, but the fruit of the spirit is love. See right there, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, which another word for that is, is patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. There's that number three right there, trifecta. Gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Our next bullet point is put others first. We see up there that it also says be completely humble and gentle. That means put others first. I'm gonna pull a Pastor Ken. Think on this. If you're the main character in the story that you're living, you're living the wrong story. God is the main character. And then he tells us to take care of others. If your story's not playing out that way, let's shut the book and let's open the right one and make him the main character so that we can help others. Next bullet point is we are family. I gotta tell you, it's hard for me to not go, we are family. See, I just did it anyway. Now you know why Cody does not let me on the worship team, by the way. We have the same daddy with the same spirit living in and through each of us. We are now brothers and sisters. If you have said yes to the Lord and made him your Lord and Savior, we are brothers and sisters. And can I tell you that the next blank In his family, in this family, there is no place for sibling rivalry, okay? Sibling rivalry has no place in the kingdom of God, and I'll tell you why. Sibling rivalry happens, look, I've got a bunch of brothers and sisters, there's like 912 of us or something, I lost count about seven of us ago. And this would happen every now and then. But sibling rivalry, if you boil it down to what it really is, it happens when kids begin to compete for the affection and attention of a parent. Guess what? You don't have to compete. God's got plenty for all of us and his eye is on you. He's not limited like we are with our abilities. He transcends all that. He loves on all of us at the same time with the same amount of affection. He's got no favorites. So if we're not careful, sibling rivalry will put us in this place where we compete with each other when what we ought to be doing is complimenting each other. My strengths, John's weaknesses. John's strengths, my weaknesses. And so on and so forth so that the whole body can accomplish what it was called to do. No sibling rivalry. If we do that, we end up not walking in unity. And that's a problem because our next point, number three, we see that unity is a game changer. Unity is a game changer. You see, unity brings God's blessing. Psalms 133 says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. That's us, by the way. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. We could preach a whole message on that, but I won't. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Now check this out. Here's where it gets awesome. For there the Lord bestows his blessing. 
even life forevermore. Unity brings the blessing of God. Now look, we've got a great body and we do a really good job of walking in unity, but I would just wanna remind you, this is something we have to keep at the forefront of our mind. Because let me tell you what the enemy does. The enemy works to disrupt unity. He wants to get gossip involved. He wants to get backbiting involved. He wants to get us hearing through our filters instead of the truth so that, oh man, did you hear what Sister Susie said about, and all of a sudden you're all rattled up and you're enraged. And the reason he wants to do that is because Galatians 5.15 says that when we walk in that place, we actually end up devouring each other. That means he can just tweak it and stir it over here. And when he sees that it took root, he can go on down the road. He doesn't have to devour us. We'll do it to ourselves. So remember, when you get that tinge, that's from the enemy. And don't let it in. Be quick to say I'm sorry. Be quick to forgive. And be quick to make a phone call. Next, we're going to do number four. Jesus, the giver of gifts. I should have given this a little more time. Oh, well, here you go. Jesus, the giver of gift, verses seven through eight. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. So letter A, we all have gifts. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are gifted. Turn to your other neighbor and say, so are you. Now look, in Ephesians 4, next week we're going to cover a little more about what's called the five-fold ministry. If that messes with you, I put a couple of scriptures in here so that you could understand that you're gifted and called to a position as well. Romans 12, 4 through 8, we don't have time to read it right now, but they're here. They're in your notes so that you can go home and read them. Romans 12, 4 through 8, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, and verse 28 list a much broader set of gifts, Okay. Next week, we're going to learn why this talks about the five-fold ministry, but brush up on what that says. Read those if you don't know what your gift is. The first bullet point is to remember that his gifts are good. James 1.17 says every good gift comes from God. And he supplied the grace needed to use and walk in your gift. That's what we read in verse seven. That's why we can't try to walk in somebody else's gift. We don't have the unmerited favor of God to walk in that role. You don't have the the unmerited favor to be Pastor Don and to walk in his role, or to be Cody, or Gary Becker, or John Hillard, or Sherry, or Tim, and across the room. That's why you gotta walk in yours because he gave you the grace for it. And then last bullet under that is invest your gifts. Matthew 25, 14 through 30, tells it's a parable of the talents. I'm gonna give you the Rob phrase version, which is even probably a little more radical than the message. So there's this, there's this master, he's going away on a trip, and before he goes, he calls in three of his servants. He says, hey, check this out, I'm leaving. I'm gonna give you five talents. A talent in this illustration is a, is a unit of monetary measurement, okay? Could be quarters, whatever. He gave this one five talents, he gave the other one two, and then he gave another one one. And then he goes away and it says that immediately the one with five went out and he invested it. He put it to work and he got five more. 
And the one with two did the same thing. He ran out, he immediately got busy with it, he put it in, in gear, he activated it, and he made two more. But this other guy with the one, can I tell you that he had an identity crisis? You can read about it in yourself. Please read the parable. He wasn't real sure who his master was. He didn't understand. And so he let that affect who he thought he was. And he took that talent. He stuck it in a sock. He hid it somewhere. Master comes home, calls them all in. Their celebration. Master goes, what's up? The guy with five goes, hey, man, look, master, I've got 10. Master goes, great job. Looks the other one. He goes, man, how are you? He goes, man, I'm great. Look here. I got four. He goes, man, great job. And he turns the one that had one, and he's kind of him on around. He's like, uh, well, here you go. And the master goes, oh, man. If you'd have just done a little bit with it, if you'd have just put it in the bank and at least gotten interest on it, if you wouldn't have just hit it. And then he had some other unpleasant words for him. You see, the reason that the master would be upset about that is is because when we utilize our gifts, souls are saved. People inherit the kingdom of God when you use your gift. And that guy didn't give anybody the opportunity to experience the goodness of the master. So you gotta invest your gift. If you don't know what yours is, we have an amazing class here, it's called the Growth Track. Go to our website, I believe the next one is in October, but please go to the website. It's called Growth Track, it's on the website. You can click on it, get information, you can sign up for it. The first one is, is on membership. The next three are all about this. They're all about discovering your gift, seeing what God made you for, and then helping you get plugged in so that you're not that pinky sitting on a shelf by itself, okay? Go to the website, you need to do that. Last, number five, you're gonna get all the blanks filled in. Destroyer of captivity, verses seven through 10. Jesus is the destroyer of captivity. It says, when he ascended on high, he, had led, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? And he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Jesus captured our captor. That's a big deal. He defeated the things that had captured humanity. Death, hell, sin, the grave. He took it captive. You don't have to be captured by that anymore. He set you free from that. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 4.1 and in Ephesians 3.1, Paul says something very powerful. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. So many times we look at that and we think about that from the, from the aspect of, well, Paul's in prison because he's a Christian, because he was serving the Lord. But I'm here to tell you, I read a lot more into it than that when you jump into the Greek. Paul said, I am his prisoner. He had been captured. He had been captivated by the one that had captivated captivity, if that makes sense. That's how you can live free. Just go ahead and be the prisoner of Christ. It's a good thing. And then last, we are free. Romans 6, 22 through 23 says, but now that you've been set free from sin 
and have become slaves of God. Again, captivated by God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. Jesus paid that wage, by the way. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Go on and get out of that captivity if you've been stuck in it. Don't be there anymore. John 8, 36 tells us, if the sun sets you free, then you are truly free. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.